All right, everyone say leap. We're starting a brand new series today, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Did you know that 2020 is a leap year? Now, leap years were established um, in the 1500s after scientists discovered that there were actually about 365.25 days in the year. So 365 and a quarter. That means every four years, we chuck in an extra day to offset how we're moving out of sync. So it takes slightly more than a calendar year for the earth to orbit around the sun. And so every year we're like a quarter day out. And so every four, four years we just chuck in an extra day and then bam, we're back on track again. Like nothing ever happened. And then like, it's actually like 365.24 until like every hundred years we chuck in an extra, extra day just to offset a hundred. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, as we went into the end of last year, um, the lead pastors from across all of our campuses, we came together and we began, began to pray and believe uh, what 2020 would be. And although um, we knew it was going to be a leap year and we know that a leap year is a somewhat common occurrence, we genuinely felt deep in our spirit that, we, that there was something of a prophetic nature in it for us as Elam Christian Center in 2020. See, every year we believe for God to move. Every year we believe for our churches to grow and for our community to be, to be impacted. But we felt and do believe that in 2020, it's going to be something more. We've never felt like we had such a strong position to launch into the future than we do right now. Now, the truth is that almost anything that grows and expands like super fast ends up imploding or crumbling or breaking down because it grows in an unsustainable way. And I want to let you know that we're not here to build something that is only impressive in our generation, but we want to build something that goes beyond us. That when every single person here has passed away, this church is still thriving, it's still reaching people until that day that Jesus returns, whenever that may be. See, we'd rather build strong and slow than fast and fragile because we're building something bigger than ourselves. In fact, in Ephesians 3, 20, to 21, you might recognize the first part of the scripture. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we might ask, think, or imagine. Like, I love that. God can do more than you could possibly fathom. You could possibly dream up. He can do more according to his power that is work within us. And in the second part, we often stop there and go, that's nice. That's good to tweet. That fits my Instagram, but there's more. It says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever." And ever. We are part of something that's not only bigger than our sphere of influence, but even the length of our life. And we may be believing that this year is going to be a big and significant year for us as a church, but you know what that really means? Like when we say it's going to be a big year for our church, we understand that the church is the people. So when we say that, what we're really saying is we're believing it's going to be a big and significant year for you. For every person that would sit in this room that maybe couldn't make it today, for every person that sits in any one of our six campuses today, we're believing a big and significant year for you. See, God calls us to build day after day, step after step, and yet sometimes He says, leap. Sometimes He says, yeah, you've been going step after step. It's what I've asked you to do, and we preach that all the time. Just take the next step that's in front of you. But sometimes He says, I want you to take a step that's different from the ones that came before it. I want you to take a leap that would push you out of your comfort zone, to take extra ground, to exceed expectations, to advance more than usual. And it may look like a small step, but for you, it could be one of the most significant steps that you've ever taken. Like when Jesus called Peter out of the boat to walk on the water. It was just one small step from the boat to the water, but a massive leap for Peter to trust Jesus in this way. Like when Neil Armstrong first stepped onto the surface of the moon, 
Just one tiny step from a platform onto the moon's surface, but one giant leap for mankind. But just like Neil Armstrong taking that very first step onto the moon, it would be crazy for us to think it was just one step without recognizing everything that went into giving him that opportunity, everything that led up to him taking that most significant step of his entire life. It's the mistakes, the advice, the consultations, the sacrifices, the resources, none of which would have seemed glamorous, but all of which was necessary to position him to take one of the greatest steps of his life. See, before a high jumper can jump high, they must take many steps to build momentum. Before a long jumper can jump long, they take many steps until the timing is right. And I want to declare over your life that this year God is asking you to leap, to step right out, to trust God in the process, and to position yourself for significant breakthrough. And this series is all about that. It's about actually equipping you to take a leap in your life in three particular areas. Those are finance, your career, and your relationships. And this morning, we want to jump straight into it and journey through what it means to take a leap in your finances. I want you to know right from the outset that this is not a message about giving. Giving is very important, but that's a chat for another day. But the truth is God wants you to have freedom in every area of your life, and it's money that has one of the most powerful forces in our world. You know, they say money can't buy happiness. True, but I would rather cry in my Ferrari, right? (laughs) To which the disclaimer must come, of course, I don't have a Ferrari. Um, I'll say this, this won't shock you, but I'm not a financial advisor. I can't give you financial advice. It's not what I want to do today. This is your life, and you didn't make your own decisions. But what I do want to do today is take us to Scripture to see what God's heart is on the matter. Because God doesn't promise to make you rich. Sorry. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? God doesn't promise to make everything smooth and easy. That's not the gospel message, and it's just not the truth. But in saying that, you know what God does promise? To reward those who are faithful. Like if you're faithful with what you have, God says he'll reward you. He he does give us plenty of wisdom on how to handle what it is that has been placed in our hands and how to be intentional and being generous towards those around us. See, even the mention of money, I could almost guarantee, has already sparked some sort of a reaction in the heart of pretty much every person in this room. Now, for some of you, it brings stress and anxiety, worry and concern. For others, it's this feeling of excitement and joy. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than he did love, heaven, and hell combined? Weird. Or is it? Is it because Jesus is money hungry? Is it because the church is all about money? No, of course not. We are and will always be all about people connecting with God. But as I realized this, I'm reminded that perhaps Jesus spoke more about money than any other thing because God understands the power that it can have in your life. Because money is the thing that gives us access to the world. It's a measure of value that determines the life that we get to live, what holidays we get to take if we get to take any at all, our access to health care and the opportunities that we get to take advantage of. Um, In Mark chapter 10, there's this rich young ruler And he comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of heaven? Classic, like what's the the road of least resistance? Like, Just tell me what I got to do to get there. And Jesus says, well, you just got to follow all the commands. You got to do as they say. And he's like, not my first rodeo, Jesus. I've been doing that since a young boy. I've got that covered. Jesus, through his comments, can see his heart. And he says, okay, Hmm. there's one more thing that you haven't done. 
sell everything that you've got, give the money to the poor, and then come follow me. The Bible says in that moment, he became very sad because he was very rich. I think that's hilarious, right? Because if he didn't have much, he'd be like, ah, it's sweet, like, take a little little life. But because he was very rich, he found it very hard to detach himself from the money, and this was a very confronting challenge. And Jesus uses this scenario as a teaching point for his disciples. And so in Mark 10, um, from verse 23, says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Hear me on this. What I know Jesus is not saying is that if you have a lot of money, it's inherently difficult for you. Like it's harder for you than it is for other people, but he's appealing to the nature of the human heart. He's saying what often happens, not always, but what often can happen is when you have a lot of money, you become enslaved to it. You don't figure out how to manage it and it ends up managing you. And so sometimes, not always, but when people have a lot of money, they become so enslaved to it that they can't detach themselves from it. They end up serving it instead of God. So he says, for those people, it can be incredibly difficult to enter the kingdom of God because they can't get it right who it is that they're serving. In Matthew chapter 6, again, Jesus talking about money. He says, don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will always be. Again, he's not saying put your money in a bank account managed by angels, right? Like he's not like put your money in heaven, but he's saying where is your investment? Because where your money is, is like a stamp of approval on what you find most valuable. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And so what he's appealing to us here is saying, is your money positioned in some areas that have eternal value? Are you investing in the transformation of people? Are you investing in something that isn't just the here and now that will eventually fade away? Also in that chapter, Matthew 6, Jesus said, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Again, it's this idea that generosity is not about our recognition. Like when I will give to something or to someone, it's because I genuinely want breakthrough in their life. I genuinely want them to be blessed. I want my life to overflow to be a blessing in somebody else's life. And it's not about my recognition. So when we give, he's saying do it in private. They still receive the blessing, but it was never about you getting the reward in that moment. You know, some of life's biggest decisions are all situated around finance. It's a huge area of life. Buying a home, downsizing your home, establishing a budget, creating a joint bank account with your spouse, tithing in church. And some of these might feel like a giant leap, but here's the truth, right? You don't even get to take the leap until you first take all the lead up small steps. Like Jesus, when he called Peter out to step on the water, Peter would have never got to step out and walk on the water if he didn't first get in the boat. If he hadn't first been a disciple to follow Jesus. Neil Armstrong, when he stepped on the moon, he could never have done that if he didn't first go through the training and step onto the spacecraft. Peter couldn't have stepped out if he didn't first journey with Jesus. Taking a leap in your finance is about starting at the end and working your way backwards. We bought a property a couple of weeks ago, and I remember in the early stages of that speaking to um, our, what do you call it, mortgage broker. Yeah, that's, that's what they're called speaking to a mortgage broker, and he was chatting to me in the early days. We're trying to get all our ducks in a row to make this happen, and he asked me this question, the audacity of the man. He said, when you retire, how much money do you want to have? I was like, how how much money? All of it. 
<laughs> I was like, what sort of a question is that? I want all of that. He said, you can't answer like that. I said, just did. He's like, if you answer like that, it makes no sense because the way that you answer that question will determine the steps and the decisions you need to make today because your pace to which you run this will be determined by your goal. I've got a couple of practical tips. And I'll be honest with you, um, sometimes preaching comes easy, sometimes it doesn't. Writing messages, sometimes they come easy, sometimes they don't. I've toiled over this one a bit for a week because I realize it's such a huge area of life. And there's so much to say and 13 minutes and 10 seconds left to say it. Um, but I want, I want you to be connected with the Word of God. And my prayer is always that your greatest connection on a Sunday is not with me. I hope you connect in order that it may be clear, but I want you to connect with God. And this is all about you connecting with God in a way that brings life and wisdom and revelation and strategy to your life so that you can win. He created you to win. He created you to flourish. And that's my heart. So I've got a couple of tips that I hope are helpful, but I realize in the room we've got very different people. We've got students that probably just live off pocket money or nothing. And you've got probably some people in the room that have investment properties and the whole deal and everyone in between. Um, my prayer is that this is helpful. And if for some of you this is elementary, uh, please just join me over the next 12 minutes in just praying and believing that this would speak to somebody else and that God may use a simple idea to bring a fresh revelation to you. Is that okay? The first thing that I hope helps you is this, adjust to have margin. Adjust to have margin. See, each of us, we receive different amounts of money Every week, every fortnight, every month, whatever it may be, and we receive it in different ways, right? So some people will get it through a salary, through a pension, benefits, allowances, inheritances, and metal detecting at the beach, right? <laughs> oh, man, Paul. Oh, come on. It's a shout out to the metal detecting community. My guys. It doesn't matter how you get it. Could I suggest that the amount that you get is less important than how you handle it? We all get different amounts, that's true, and it's, there's no point in uncovering that, but how we handle it really matters. Darcy spoke a message a little while ago, I think it was maybe late December, about having margin in our life, and the same applies to our finances. It's breathing room. It's wiggle room. It's having just something, just something left over. See, living paycheck to paycheck is not only stressful, but it's also unproductive. It leaves you in the same position every single week with no hope of things getting better. Now I get it. Old mate Frosty, just saying it's easy, but it's not easy. And for many people, that's a lot easier said than done to just not live off everything. I know it might not feel like you have a choice, but could I encourage you to consider that creating margin in your life financially is maybe, just maybe, a little easier than you first thought. See, sometimes we underestimate the power of taking the first step in the right process, even if it's a little one. Maybe you've heard the saying, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. Like you would look at an elephant, and if I was like, Christian, bro, you're a big man. You've got a big appetite. Eat the elephant. Even you would be like, I can't do it. Like the goal is too big. The task at hand is unachievable. There's no way I could do that. But you take one bite, and you're one bite closer. And you take another bite, and you take another bite. And all of a sudden, you're like, I ate an elephant. Sorry to my vegan friends, but... The point here is the task can seem very impossible and very unachievable, but one step after one step after one step, you build momentum, and all of a sudden, you eat the entire elephant. In Zechariah chapter 4, um, there's a story about a man named Zerubbabel. I tell you, it's fun to say. Say Zerubbabel. Told you. And this guy is like a governor. He's like overseeing a particular region. 
And when he is appointed to oversee this region, he decides that he wants to rebuild the temple. The temple's been laying in ruins for 20 years. Maybe you feel like your financial situation's been laying in ruins for 20 years. Like it's just a big pile of muck. It's, it's messy. It's crazy. You don't know where half of it is. Like everything's just everywhere. But he determines to rebuild the temple. He can see it. He can see the elephant. He can see the goal. He can see what the temple is going to look like. And so he just starts to begin the work. And in Zechariah 4, chapter 10, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. It is absolutely vital that if you're to build your way towards financial freedom, you have to find a way to not live off 100% of your income. Because God delights to see the work begin. And when you live off 100%, you 100% guarantee yourself to stay on the same cycle. See, this is how it should work, in my opinion. We shouldn't set the pace of our life and then see what's left over to save, but we should decide what's realistic for us to save and put aside and make a way and adapt and find a way to live off what is left. You might say, well, I need every cent to live off. You might even say, to be honest, I don't even have enough as it is. But I think you're underestimating your resilience. I think you're underestimating your ability to adapt as necessary. As people, we are incredible adapters, and it makes it easier when we don't have another choice. Because there's a huge difference between those need-to-have items and the nice-to-haves. And this is not one of those speeches you see on Facebook about stop eating avocado on toast and get rid of the flat whites. Like That may help you, but the truth is there are some things in our life that are need-to-haves, and there are some things in our life that are nice-to-haves. I like how author and financial advisor Dave Ramsey said it. He says, you need to act your wage. Well, that's quite good. You need to act your wage. Could I suggest maybe setting up a savings account where a percentage goes into that the moment you get paid? Maybe it's 3%, 5%, 10% of what you get paid. I'm not sure. Whatever works for you, put it in there and don't touch it. You know why this is important? Because it's not about the 3%. It's not about the 5%, the 10%. It's not about what you put in there. It's the fact that it represents progress. This is not about $10 or $50 or $500. It's about having margin in your life. And this is far more valuable than the monetary figure. This isn't just savings. This is a brighter tomorrow. I heard an amazing story, true story of a man named Theodore Johnson in the 1950s. This guy worked for UPS in the States, which is like a New Zealand courier, like delivery service company, um, and he earned 14,000 US dollars a year. This guy retired with $71 million and gave away $35 million while he was still alive. You want to know how he did it? <laughs> Amen. Tell me his secret. Well, what happened is one day a friend came to him and he said, Theodore, I'm going to make you rich. He said, <laughs> Mate, people like me don't get rich. I'm on $14,000 a year. There's no way people like me can get rich. He says, I'm going to tax you 20%. He's like, you're crazy. If you tax me an extra 20%, not like an actual governmental tax, but as a friend, I'm going to tax you 20%. He's like, if you did that, I wouldn't be able to survive. And his friend said, I know you would. Do you know why I know? Because if the government announced today that they were adding an extra 20% tax, you know what you'd do? You would kick and scream. You'd moan, you'd complain, you'd blame either Jacinda Ardern or John Key. You'd blame one of them. It's all their fault. You would moan and whinge and it would suck like it truly would. And then you know what you'd do? You'd pay it because you have to. 
And then now that you got 20% left, do you know what you would do? You would adapt. You wouldn't sit there and waste away and die. You would find a way. You would get creative. Other people may come to aid. God might use other people to bless you, but you would find a way. See, the problem is for some of us, we don't believe investing or saving or putting something aside as a have to. So rather than living off a slightly smaller portion of our income and building towards our leap, we live a fractionally better life but commit ourselves to the same cycle with no hope of getting out. Set up an automatic payment. 3%, 5%, 20%, whatever works for you. I'm not here to give you numbers. But put it in in an account that has reward interest. Like at the very least, there's accounts where if you put your money in it, if you don't make any withdrawals, they will give you reward interest. They will give you extra free money for sticking to your own plan. So you commit yourself. If if I take something out of that, I'm not going to get the reward interest. So I'm going to stick to the plan. I'm going to see it through. I'm not going to touch it. And as a result, they will give you free money for doing nothing. You can thank me later. That's amazing. Now, admittedly, in today's financial climate, it's not going to be a whole lot, but it's something, and it's building, and it's helping you stick to building that habit. You might think, well, what difference does $10 make? Probably nothing. Realistically, $10 probably makes no difference to your life, but you know what that does? $10 a week? All of a sudden, at the end of the year, you have $520. With interest, it might be close to $550. You know what you can't do with $10? And you can do with maybe 550 is leap. And so it's one step at a time. It's one small amount that maybe seem insignificant that you wouldn't notice in your life. But all of a sudden, it positions you to take a leap that you were otherwise not prepared to take. The point here is that God rejoices to see the work begin. No matter how small, start with something, make it regular and make it untouchable. Maybe the biggest step that you could take in your finances this year is a step backwards. Maybe it's starting something where you could forgo a luxury, maybe get creative on how to make ends meet. Maybe the biggest leap is a small step in the right direction. Like Neil Armstrong, it was one small step, but it was one giant leap for mankind. When you commit yourself to living with margin, you probably won't even notice the difference, but it helps build towards taking that leap in your life. Second thing is put your money to work. Put your money to work. Truly, my prayer is that some way this could be helpful for you. Now, the typical standard way that the world agrees as to how you make money is that you trade your time for money. Like, I will come and I will work for you for one hour and you will give me $20 of your money. The more time I trade, the more money that I get. And this is an okay place to start, but it's also very limited. Why? Because you don't have more time. You've got family, work, hobbies, sports, kind of hobbies, same thing. You've got church. You've got all your other commitments. The truth is, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, you don't have more time. In a, in a society that is time poor, you don't have more time to offer. So what we need to do is get the money that we do have working to multiply itself. Most people don't lack money, not everyone, but most people don't lack money. They lack the tools and perspectives necessary to make their money work for them. And this is the key, that we shouldn't be working for money. Money should be working for us. Matthew 6 verse 24, Jesus addresses this. He says it very clearly. He says, no one can serve two masters. He says, for you will hate one and you will love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money kind of like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus asking, how do we inherit the kingdom of God? 
What's he saying? Devote yourself in service to God and become the master of your money. Devote to God and master your money. It works for you, not the other way around. One of them you will serve and one of them you will master. And the choice is yours. You choose to serve God, you'll probably end up being better positioned to master your money. But if you choose to serve your money, then you'll at least do your very best at trying to master God. And good luck with that. Sometimes we get this relationship between us, God, and money all mixed up. We won't admit it, but we find ourselves praying very particular types of prayers. We find ourselves asking God to assist us so that we can serve our true master, money. And what happens is we end up letting money make our decisions, money control our life. We let money dictate our commitments and determine our state of joy. Yet we were always meant to master our money and commit ourselves in service to God. So it should be God that helps us make decisions, God to lead our life, God to, to I guess, direct our commitments, and God to determine our state of joy. If we let money make all of our decisions, I'll tell you right now, this campus wouldn't exist. Like none of us would be sitting in this building right now. The life change and the transformation that has taken place would have only been a distant dream. Because rather than letting money make all of our decisions, we let God do it. And God said, this is going to be a huge leap financially. It doesn't even make sense, but go for it. And so we did what God said in that moment. You know, the truth is your $10 loses value over time. It's not worth $10 tomorrow. And the next day it's worth even less. It's called inflation. Do you remember when $10 could get you a ticket to the movies, a drink, and a popcorn? Now it's $10 to sniff the popcorn. <laughs> like, what we have deteriorates in value, and if we're not careful, what we do have will slip through our fingers. God is fully in favor of you using the systems available to multiply what you have. I want to take a look real quick at the parable of the talents. A master who represents God in the story in the New Testament gives three servants three different amounts of money. He goes on holiday. When he comes back, he's expecting that they've multiplied it. Well, he comes back, the one with five doubled to 10, the one with two doubled to four, and the one with one had buried it in the ground and returned it as it was to the master. And he's upset with this. He's happy with the other two that doubled, but he's not happy with the one that didn't multiply. And you know what he says to the one that didn't multiply his money? He says, the least you could have done. He's like, are you dumb? He's like, the least you could have done is put it in a bank account and earn interest. When I read this, I was like, were there bank accounts back in those days? There obviously was. There it is. He's like, the least you could have done was put it in a bank account and earn interest. You know what? I read into this as, as I realize, I'm like, there must have been other ways to multiply money. Because there's no way putting it in a bank account to earn interest would have doubled it. And the other two found a way to double it. So there were other ways of investing and multiplying and transforming what they had into more. But he's saying the least you could have done was put it into a bank account. For God to include this in Scripture shows me that he's on board with us using the systems and the structures available to multiply what we have. But listen, multiplication isn't about wealth. It's about stewardship. It's about being faithful with what's in our hands. See, when you honor what you do have, God knows that he can entrust you with more. What did he say to the two servants that doubled their money? Well done, my good and faithful servants. Faithfulness looks like multiplication. Can I encourage someone here today to prepare to take your leap by taking the necessary step to get some help? The help is out there, and you'd be amazed at what you could achieve if you started, you got the work underway, and you committed to making your money work for itself. Maybe it's something like this. 
if you have a mortgage. Structure your mortgage in such a way that all of your other accounts, your savings account, your grocery account, your kid's savings account, offset the amount that is owed so that you pay less interest. Maybe explore some simple investment options. There are really good trusted websites and organizations out there that can have you invest into great companies for as little as $5. Do your research, find something that you're comfortable with, but begin to look into it. Consolidate your debt into one loan. You might have all these different loans all over the show, and what banks will offer to do for you, they're like, we'll pay them all off for you, and then you'll owe us instead. We'll put it all into one loan on a lower interest rate, and we'll give you, most of them will give you a year interest-free. So now you're not paying interest on any of those loans, and you've got a year to crank it out as fast as you can. It's simple things like this that are in place that we can use to put our money to work. But again, hear me on this. The point of this is not more money. The point of this is more freedom. The point of this is to position ourselves to be able to take a leap in life and to have overflow that we might bless other people in our world. If you just want resource for yourself, God sees you as a dead end. But if you want to be faithful with what God has given you so that you're better positioned to take that leap and bless others, then start putting your money to work. Final thing I want to encourage you in is just a simple idea of being realistic with the season that you're in. Be realistic with your season, or you probably won't ever experience a better one. This is probably the most important out of all of them. Every person has a unique experience when it comes to managing and looking after our money, and it's important that you read your own dials and you're realistic with what works for you and what doesn't work for you. What works for your neighbor might not work for you, and this is really important, that there is an individual approach to it. See, for some people, using a credit card can save you money. But for other people in the room, you're like, oh, there's no way. Like, I don't have the self-control to not spend money that isn't mine that sits right in front of me. If that's you, don't get one. Like, it doesn't matter if your friend or your colleague has one. If it doesn't work for you, then don't get it. Don't compare your spending habits to friends and colleagues around you. Because wanting to live and spend like them when it's out of your means means we're not acting our wage and it ends up enslaving us back into the same cycle that we never end up leaving. But to say, here I am. I'm not focused on what I don't have, but I'm thankful for what I do have. And I'm determined to be faithful with that, to act according to wisdom, and to begin to work my way towards more freedom. Today, maybe it's about taking more steps, but I'm building my way towards that leap. Now, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll finish in a couple of minutes, but Darcy and I got married in 2015. And um, when we got married, we moved into one of the small accommodation units at our Minyarewa campus. They're tiny. Um, we moved in there. It was tiny. There was no internet. The drive to our botany campus where we worked became agonizing, but it was cheap. And so we were all about it. I remember having a conversation with Darcy one day going, we just have to stay here as long as we can possibly bear it because every week that we live here, we're one week closer to that dream of owning a home. We'd started to save little amounts here and there. We put it aside. We knew it was important, but it seemed like it was never going to happen. The Auckland market, right? My best friend at the time already owned a home in Auckland. Like all of my school friends were earning 20, 30, 40, $50,000 more than I was, but that was not me. And that was not our season. And if I tried to live like they had lived at that time, then we wouldn't have been able to step into all that God had for us. Auckland was too expensive. 
And so we determined to make our money work for us. Rather than sitting back and complaining, Auckland's so expensive, it's the boomer's fault. Like, I'm a victim of this. There's no way, like, it's impossible. The Kiwi dream is gone. It was difficult. It was expensive. But we were determined to do what we needed to do in our season to make our money work for us. And we were realistic with where we were at. So we ended up buying a house in Hamilton for half the price that we could have got it in Auckland. And because we used my KiwiSaver, we had to live in it for six months. We lived in Hamilton, and we worked in Botany, East Auckland. Like, some people do this, and they cheat, and they don't actually live where they said they were going to live, but we knew, we signed that document, we said we're going to live there, it'll be our primary place of residence, we're honoring God, we're doing it right. So four or five days a week, we would drive up to work and drive all the way back down. We had early starts, we had late nights, we didn't get to hang out with friends, we were exhausted, but we were reminded that we had set our eyes on a task, on a goal, and we were living according to our season. We had no help whatsoever from parents, no inheritance, we just saved. And when our friends bought $18 burger fuel meals, we bought $8 kids ones. <laughs> I still buy $8 kids ones, they're a good buy. We avoided buying expensive clothes, and we made other sacrifices along the way. But hear me, this doesn't mean that we were stingy. We just counted every sacrifice as a win, not a loss. We knew what we were building towards. We were acting our wage, and we were acting according to the season that we were in, not those around us. We also knew it was important to never compromise our giving at church. So we made sure that that stayed consistent because we wanted to honor God the whole way through. Cut a long story short, we sold that three years later. We made some money off that, praise God, which allowed us to buy the property that we recently bought here in Papakura, which I can honestly tell you would have never happened. It would have been impossible if we hadn't first taken that step in Hamilton. We also know that it wouldn't have been possible without God. I remember when the mortgage broker called me to tell me that the finance for our new place had been approved with the bank. And he called me and he says, honestly, I can't believe it. He's like, I process applications like this every now and then, and they almost always get declined. He says, all I can say is that it's a miracle. And I responded, and I said, well, I happen to know a God who does miracles, so I'm not as shocked as you are. <laughs> I did. Um, Exton, you can join me on keys. That would be awesome. Look, don't get this mixed up with like a prosperity gospel where God promises to make you rich. It's not true. But God does actually want you to flourish. He does have good things ahead for you. God will do what God will do, but He's actually asked us and called us and entrusted us to do certain things that we could do, to be faithful, to act according to wisdom, to seek wise counsel, and to build into something that's bigger than ourselves. I'm not exactly sure what a leap in your finances looks like exactly and specifically, but I know that God wants to help you do it, and I know that it won't happen overnight. Maybe the run-up towards your leap is setting up a savings account with $10 that you won't touch unless you're increasing it. Because that, that money doesn't just represent savings, which you could spend on something else. It represents a brighter tomorrow. It represents building towards your leap. Maybe your next step is looking into some simple investment options. Speak to some experts, see what there is out there. Maybe you've been serving money and trying to control God and it's time to flip that upside down the right way so that we could begin giving regularly in church. Why? Because it's a powerful declaration from us 
to say, God, you are the Lord of my life. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You will love one and you'll despise the other. We were created to serve God and to become the master of our money. It's simply a tool. It's simply a resource that gives us access to the world and God gives us great wisdom on how to handle that. Adjust to have margin. Remember that God rejoices to see the work begin. Put your money to work. Faithfulness looks like multiplication. And be honest with the season you're in. Maybe that looks like acting your wage. We're over time by heaps. So let's pray. God, I thank you for every person that is sitting here today. Maybe they're here in this room and probably the last thing they expected to or wanted to hear about was money in church because it's taboo. But God, actually, I know that you care because this is a powerful force in our life and you want us to win and to flourish, but not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others, that you might use us to be a blessing in the world of those around us. God, I pray that what was shared today wasn't just about our head, but it was about our heart. I thank you, God, that you've called us to serve you and to master our money. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us strategy? Maybe you have prompted us today to go and speak to the appropriate people to get some help that we need. But God, we do want your assistance in this. We know that you do work miracles. You are a way-making God, and where it seems to be no way, time and time again, you make a way for us. We believe that we declare it in Jesus' name.